Welcome back to another episode of the China Startup Post, your looking glass into the Chinese and Asian startup ecosystem. For anyone that wants to launch, join, invest startups, or simply wants to learn more about what's happening in this part of the world. I'm Oscar Ramos, your hope for today's episode with Andrew Gold. Andrew will share his almost 20 years' experience in corporate venture capital. He will explain why corporates need innovation more than ever, what is happening in the world beyond traditional corporate VC, and why even the best reports are not as valuable as real hands-on experience with disruptive startups. He will also talk from the point of view of the founders, what are the challenges and opportunities of having a corporate VC as your shareholder. Finally, he will talk about why even multinationals that don't have any business in China should consider China in their corporate VC activities. Without any delay, let's get started with a fully packed episode. Welcome back to another episode of the China Startup Pulse. Today, our guest is going to be Andrew Gold, founder and executive of iMobile. Andrew has been working in the corporate venture capital space for more than 18 years, and he's been doing that with a China angle. Um, his relationship with China started 16 years ago, but uh, has been more intensive in the last 10 years. Andrew, in the mid-90s, used to work for Unilever, and he realized that something was not good. And that was, he decided to found his company and start to get involved in this industry. First of all, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Oscar. Very pleased to be uh, speaking with you again. So, Andrew, what was exactly what you saw in, um, that, that you think was not right when you were working in Unilever and motivated that change? Yes. So in the mid to end of the 90s, I was involved uh, in Unilever doing IT sort of project changes. And I was doing my MBA that was sponsored by Unilever and I was doing it at Henley Business School. And the penny dropped for me when I got the worst mark in one of my MBA papers when I outlined how our division should be doing more online. It was the time of the internet boom back into the 90s. The dot-com crash, of course, came in 2000, but the end of the 90s. Uh, so being able to put product information, health and safety information online, being able to take direct orders, and to be able to do tank replenishment for the large bulk chemicals that we were dealing with, and trying to get my executives in the division to look at what used to be Netscape and Mosaic, the old browsers. And I was seeing that corporates really, not only Unilever, but many others, weren't grasping how the technology was changing. So when I finished my MBA in 2000, I set up a business which was called at the time Henley Incubator because I gave some equity to the business school and launched the business and got corporate such as Shell and IBM and Unilever and Procter and & Gamble and GlaxoSmithKline to be clients to look at how corporate should be changing their innovation as this new wave of technology was coming along. So that was the inspiration. That's where I started on the journey I've been on now for the last 18, 19 years. And what is Amova besides the change in the, in the name? Is there yep. any, any new, new activity for Amova? So aim of our core part is really helping large corporates with this change, which is coming due to the technology and changing business models. So what I've been doing over those years has been pretty similar. I don't like to call it a consulting business because caricaturing consultants, they put their arm around the client, ask what they want, and then put a load of, say, consultants in to build the IT solutions. My, my perspective more is, 
the corporate needs to be looking outside with startups and technologies that are already out there, learning and partnering with those organizations and recognizing they can't do it all themselves. So I, I, I run round tables with different corporates and I'll talk a little bit later about sort of the electric vehicle and consumer goods space that I'm doing programs at the moment. I've worked with quite a number of corporates, bringing them to China and looking at how the business models and technologies are changing there. We work on particular themes and also you know, myself and our associates within the business roll our sleeves up and work with the corporates and startups, bringing them together to build new propositions. So aim, aim of our, I guess you could call it an advisory service and a networking and facilitation organization. And I mean, recently we've, we've seen um, in this space of, our, of, our, of open innovation and more collaboration between multinationals and startups, we've seen a, a growth of activity, and more particularly uh, the area of corporate venture capital or, or CVC mm-hmm. definitely shows very, very, very relevant numbers. Can you give us an overview of, of, of what's happening in that space? Yeah, sure. So to put some context on that to a first, I think. Corporate venturing to me covers quite a spectrum of activities and it's this engaging with outside the organization. So as you just touched on, Oscar, you know, I see it as the edges of R&D and marketing, which would involve open innovation, going outside, looking and partnering with organizations. It could involve incubation with the corporate creating an incubator themselves. And there's thousands of those now around the world there's corporates working with other incubators and the the sorts of activities that that you do and other organizations that organize incubators and then bring in corporate partners so i see that as part of the corporate venturing space then there's corporates who do some ad hoc one-off investing and that's part of the funding that goes into into startups corporates then I, i think what we would probably call corporate venture capital in its purest sense would be when a corporate dedicates a fund to go out and invest, taking minority stakes, typically less than 20% of the equity within a startup, because over 20%, that raises all sorts of issues and consolidation for the corporate accounting. And then further along the spectrum, it's corporates being a limited partner an lp investing in a more financial orientated fund but which is aligned with the objectives for the corporate so that so that's the spectrum i see of sort of corporate corporate venturing now in terms of the numbers and stats that are out there you know there's a recent report by money tree by price waterhouse and cbc insights sort of is been tracking the corporate investors who participate within VC deals and corporates are typically within 25 to 30 percent involved in deals between about 25 and 30 percent so corporates are involved in you know a good proportion of the deals but what corporates should be involved in is doing things which are strategic which brings benefits to the startups and brings benefits to the corporates. And we can probably explore that a bit more rather than just talking about sort of the, the numbers in terms of quantity of the billions of dollars that get invested and that within the space or more participants, it's the, it's the strategic relevance is pretty more important. So I'd like to ask a question specifically about, uh, about the corporate VC side and more specifically from the side of the entrepreneur where yep. entrepreneurs traditionally or, or a lot of entrepreneurs they still think that working with a corporate VC involves a risk because uh, well first I think you already outlined 
the, the problem of, uh, of having a stake uh, where most corporate VCs try to stay below 20% to avoid accounting uh, consolidation and uh, limit the, what the startup can do because there would be an effect, an impact yeah. on, on the corporate VC. But at the same time, there's sometimes also, um, okay, if I have one of these companies as my shareholder, will this limit my ability to work with other corporates in the same sector? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I think corporates and startups need to understand what's the purpose of what they're trying to achieve. And, you know, from a corporate perspective, I recommend to corporates that I work with that they should be using corporate venture capital to do things that are strategic to the corporate. And by strategic, I mean things that are going to be coming a number of years down the line that are going to be impacting their industry. So for oil companies, car companies, car rental companies, taxi companies, you know, autonomous electric vehicles are the things which is going to be coming down the line, which is going to be impacting the business. Now, those things aren't affecting the current business units and the time difference. I think it's important to realize that for a business unit, which wants to sell more lubricants, for example, in an oil industry, something strategic for that, that business unit is something for the next one or two years. Now, for the corporate, though, needs to be thinking further out and investing in startups which are involved in electric vehicles, car sharing, transport as a service. Those are important things for them to get insights in that, too. So it's important that there's not a mismatch in the, in the timing. So that's one thing. And for the corporate, needs to get their act together with that. If they don't get that understanding right, what I've seen happen in a lot of cases, corporates come into these investments thinking it's a route to M&A that they will then do an acquisition of that business or they will have influence over the day-to-day operate running of that business, which you know is a mismatch. You know from working with startups and being a VC sort of type investor, you can't get involved in what the chief executive and what that business and that is running. And corporates do come in with a mindset of this startup is, is a supplier or it's an M&A acquisition opportunity. And then that's the wrong mindset. And then that's when things can go wrong, you know, as the sort of point you were making in, in terms of hinting at this. So when a corporate goes into doing corporate venture capital, as I defined, you know, having a fund and investing in things, I believe they should come at that in with a VC sort of type mentality. So they should play their role on a board if appropriate they should play their role as an investor which is trying to support the startup but they should not think about themselves like an M&A and that that communication and that understanding within the corporate is a big challenge for the person who's running the fund for them to manage and and that's what I've been doing in you know running programs for corporates and running training courses in California Europe and in China I actually follow a question on these most VCs they might have different strategies, they might have different goals, but ultimately they have a financial motivation in terms of, uh, of return. So a financial return mm-hmm. is a goal for a VC. But in the case of corporates, the financial part, if you look into the big picture of the company, financial is uh, the financial return of, the, of this corporate VC unit, uh, in most cases is not the most important one. Uh, actually, most, corporates, most corporate VCs, um, they have the goal of um, getting strategic value and ideally not losing a lot of money. No, that's a sentence that I hear a lot in conversations yeah. with, uh, with corporate VCs. What is the strategic value? I mean, that, that's my question. Yeah, well, there's two aspects here about this balance between financial returns and strategic returns. And, you know, your point there about, okay, will you, can you justify it with being strategic? A great line that came out from one of the corporates I was working with sort of said, well, look, 
you don't stay strategic for long if you don't give a financial return. So if the corporate is putting a budget into a CBC unit, which says they're making smart investments, which are going to give returns, after two or three years, the corporate's going to turn around and say, look, each year we're putting money into you and we're not seeing a financial return or we're not seeing an asset value increase. And it's logical as well, because if you're making investments into startups and alongside a VC fund, you need to be investing alongside those partners for a financial return. Because, you know, when you, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur and I want an investor, I want an exit and the other VCs want an exit and we want to make a profit. Therefore, the cor- we're not going to want a corporate to come in who isn't going to want to make that exit and that as well. So I think sometimes there's a mismatch here between financial and strategic. You've got to have both. And a corporate that goes in thinking they're only doing it for strategic returns won't get in the right deals won't make a financial return on an asset increase and their corporate and their CFO, their finance director is going to turn around and say, well, we're going to cut your budget and you're not around anymore. So corporates need to go in and make a financial return, but they need to invest in areas that are going to be strategic for the corporate. So, you know, like my electric vehicle example, yes, I want to find out about electric vehicle investments, but I wouldn't invest in a a great financial return thing, which is in gambling or, retail space or something which is consumer goods which is nothing to do with the strategic relevance so you should invest for financial returns within a strategically important area and the startup and the other vcs should get the benefits from that corporate being a strategic investor because that corporate could give insights around the technologies could give insights about customers routes to market channels to market brands So the startups and the other VCs should want to be related to that corporate because of those benefits. Now, the opposite side, if you you have an investor from uh, a sector, then the other corporate, the other corporates in that sector might say, oh, we're not going to deal with that startup because they're owned by or because there's some influence from one of their competitors. And that's something that you do have to be aware of. I've seen that in a number of places. So there's some positives and there are some negatives of having a corporate involved within, within your investors. I actually, I mean, I think the, the return, the, the strategic value that uh, that entrepreneur can get from a corporate sometimes is, is very clear. I think you mentioned already a few of them. Can you explain us what is the strategic value that uh, a corporate can get from their corporate VC unit? Yeah. Okay. So this takes me on. I wrote a book, as you know, Oscar, uh, a few months ago which was called Purpose to Performance. So, and I outlined in that what's the purpose, what's the strategic benefits the corporate should be doing and how, what's the process they should go through. And then the final P is the performance measures. So what sort of strategic benefits they're getting in terms of insights for how this sector is changing, the strategic benefits of having an early stake in ventures and, and sectors which are going to become strategically important, become new arms and new divisions, and that's the organization. And they give financial returns on that as well. But the second title to the book is what I termed innovative new value chains. So let's take the example that we touched on around sort of electric vehicles. The current business model and industry for transport is internal combustion engine, ICEs as it's it's sort of called. And the model is car companies like Ford, BMW, Geely, Volvo, 
manufacture a car and typically sell it to a particular customer, business or consumer customer. And then that car is serviced and owned by the customer. If the future is going to be about transport as a service where you've got autonomous electric vehicles, you know, in particularly dense urban environments moving around, then the whole technology is changing. The platform is changing. The type of energy is changing. The service model is changing. How the customers pay and how those various people within the value chain is changing. And that's what I term innovative new value chain. It's different technologies coming together with a different business model. Now, my view is that corporates are going to have to change what their models and that are. And this happens in motor, in you know, transport, health, it's going to change. Retail, it's going to change for you know, how customers find out about products, how they get deliveries, how they get sold. So these business models and technology are going to change throughout this chain. So corporates like in the electric vehicle space, the car companies, the oil companies, the car rental companies, the car you know, sharing companies, the taxi companies, have to rethink about how their organization changes. But also from a startup point of view, there's lots of interesting startups doing different things along that chain. Car companies, you know, there's now hundreds of car companies have started up in, you know, electric car companies have started up in China. There are different product providers, there's artificial intelligence, autonomous vehicle type software, and none of those are going to succeed unless they're in the right value chain. So an important aspect for me about why corporates need to be investing and doing corporate venturing and looking at lots of different startups along that value chain is to understand where the winners, the losers are going to be in terms of the technologies, the teams, the business models, and then where they're going to play within that value chain. Andrew, why do you think this is, I mean, this is, very, this is a very specific insight and knowledge. Why do you think corporate venture capital is a better approach to get those insights compared to potentially reports or, or work with, uh, with management consulting companies? Well, I think the management consulting organizations are always looking in the rear view mirror you know, they're looking backwards in terms of, you know, when things have happened. Whereas, you know, you and I know there are thousands of fantastic entrepreneurs who are working in incubators, working in startups in Shanghai, Beijing, Singapore, Berlin, London, New York, Silicon Valley, who are looking at these technologies and looking at these business models and that already. They're the ones who are experimenting and the future they're already creating. And you're not going to get insights to that really without rolling your sleeves up and being involved in that within it, seeing those insights and helping to create that future. If you have to wait until that report and that study has been done by the consultants, you're, you're too late. And one of the things that, are, that might be concerned for entrepreneurs is, well, Obviously, having these insights into, into the future, sometimes not available anywhere else, that to a certain degree is a competitive advantage for, for the startup and a, and a way to say, okay, I, have, I know something that other people does not know. So how will a startup protect that advantage when one, they know that one of their strategic investors a core return, or not maybe core return, but one of the most important returns they're looking for is this vision into the future that will be shared with the, with the organization. Is there any risk in terms of, uh, of losing this competitive advantage by well, having uh, somebody yeah, that I th shares this interest? I think the, you know, that, that risk is there for a startup 
whenever they're talking to other startups and they're talking to VCs and sort of stuff like that. Uh, but I think, you know, it's the, you know, you and I know that it's the 1% inspiration, the 99% perspiration and partnerships is the things that creates, that creates the future venture. Somebody might have a great insight around or a great piece of technology, which they could patent or they could trademark or they could do the bits and, and or they protect their know-how you know, for a particular part of this new value chain, but they're not going to succeed without either getting masses of money and creating a large organization to create that full value chain, that full platform, or by collaborating with others along that, along that chain. And it's, you know, the, the smart, I think the smart organizations are going to be the ones that can orchestrate those different things. And that's either the smart corporates that can orchestrate it or the smart VCs that can orchestrate it or the smart entrepreneurs that can orchestrate it. So whether you're Jack Ma who sort of gets the inspiration for the business to business platform he started with and then took it into business to consumer and then took it into payments and all the other areas he's you know, taking it into. But they've done that as well by seeing good startups and acquiring them and then bringing them into their platform. And those startups like Erlama, who created a great business and then collaborated with Alibaba and then got acquired by them, you know, those are, the, there's risks, but I think the upside benefits and the chance of success are going to be better for the entrepreneurs and the corporates and society overall if there's collaboration along that and those new value chains are brought into place. And you, there's a lot of activity in that, in that space. And you've mentioned already some numbers of a number of uh, corporates that are involved in, the, mm. in corporate VC activities. But obviously, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, it's any industry, and particularly in this industry, there's a lot of, there's a lot of need for companies like yours. And um, we also try to help a little bit corporates in, in that space. What do you think uh, corporates are, are getting wrong or are doing wrong? when they approach their corporate VC strategy, besides what you mentioned already in terms of a, of a thinking, thinking as an M&A channel or forgetting the financial return? Yeah, I think they need to get alignment around what's the purpose of what they're doing, get the right process. You know, as I said, you know, an incubator process might be the right one, depending on the type of thing they're doing. Have it creating a fund might be the right thing or investing in another fund might be the right process. The central thing is getting the right people. So the alignment of their corporate board, the people who are going to be running the fund, the engagement of the business unit people. The fourth P that I talk about, and I believe is about partners, working with the right partners, because you can't do all this yourself. So thinking you can create your own incubator or thinking you can create your own deal flow by yourself without the right partners, I think it's wrong. And then getting alignment around the performance measures. So you need to make sure that the corporate doesn't think you're going to be making a financial return in two years or three years or less, because that's when they expect their financial returns. Because you know, VC type returns in startups, as you know, don't come for seven, 10, 15 years after you've made the investment. So to me, you've got to get those aligned. And when you don't get them aligned, then you're lucky if the corporate venture initiative would last for more than two to three years. That's about the life that a typical corporate venture unit lasts. If they can last longer than that by making some shrewd deals and by winning internal support, their challenge then comes on, can they really orchestrate these new innovative new value chains? Can they help corporate string together the different technologies 
and the different startups to create a new business model and to give them insights into where these new industries are going. So what is your take in terms of, uh, of corporates thinking about China? And uh, particularly, I mean, when, when somebody's already, when a corporate already has business in China, might think like a natural step. But, uh, but what do you think about, about corporates that should think about China, yeah. even if they don't have a big business presence there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to give some context about China and that for me, you know, in the introduction, you said I've been back and forth to China now for about 16 years. And the part of the reason for that, the red thread that connects, connects me to China is I've got two daughters who are adopted from China. So we've been back and forth for personal reasons. And we've traveled quite a bit within China and I've supported charities in China and sort of stuff like that as well. So I'm not just somebody who's flown in and had some meetings in Shanghai and Beijing. I feel as if I, I know what I don't know about China. I haven't got the depth of experience you've got, Oscar, but, but I think I've, I know a little bit more. And for about 10 years, more than 10 years now, I've been working with large corporates because I've been seeing the changes, the speed and the scale of change within China. And I've been raising the corporates. They need to be looking at what's happening in China. So uh, as I say in my book, I had a chapter on there on global innovation ecosystems. But to be honest, you know, one sentence was about Silicon Valley in the States because everybody knows about that and everybody sort of goes there. There was a paragraph about Israel and the tech center and why that's different in Israel. But the majority of the chapter was about China and the, the scale and speed of China. So why do I think, why do I think China is so important for corporates to think about? And it's not necessarily because they've got currently significant businesses in China. So go back to like my old company, Unilever. Yes, Unilever's in China. And yes, they sell lots of soaps. There's car companies that I work with. There's consumer goods companies I work with. One of the consumer goods companies that I worked with, call it that category. It could not sell its products in China because it's an industry which is sort of more controlled by the, by the government. But when we were working with them and took them to China, 80% of the patents in this next generation products are now being registered by Chinese companies. Over 95% of the next generation products are being manufactured in the manufacturing hubs in Shenzhen and, and that there. So the technology is being developed for this next generation product and it's consumer, it's electronics, it's consumable products that within an electronic device. So of course, China's a place for that. The companies I'm working with electric vehicles you know, over half the world's manufacturing and over half the world's sales now of electric vehicles are in China. And just six cities in China are taking the 21% of the world's electric vehicles. So in terms of a place where the new technologies on mobile, artificial intelligence, consumer data, social media is happening, it's happening within China. So so I think it's a place that needs to be watched. It needs a place to collaborate with. So that's a key point in that there. And, uh, and I think Chinese companies are the ones that, in my global innovation, innovative new value chain, we need to be considering, well, okay, if we're going to do, you know, the, like the electric vehicle, autonomous electric vehicle sort of type example, then, okay, those could be manufactured in China. But the software might be best done within California. The branding and the design might be best done out of Germany. The racing car version of it might be best done out of London. 
and to the UK. And of course, Chinese companies like NIO, you know NIO, N, uh, spelt N-I-O, is a Chinese startup started in 2014 by William Lee, floated on the New York Stock Exchange back in September last year. You know, that's a Chinese company which is doing this thing on a global scale. And Western companies need to be thinking, where does China fit within their strategy for that sort of change? So, you know, I think China's got an important role within those areas and it's important for Western companies to be looking at and for Chinese startups to be looking outside. So, Andrew, sometimes, I mean, we actually, I mean, we run a little bit of, uh, of activity in that space. And we've seen a change, particularly last year, where two, two years ago, majority of the interest in open innovation was how do we become more competitive in China and how do we leverage Chinese solutions for China? And last year, we started to see a trend of interest in terms of how can we leverage Chinese innovation for the rest of the world. But yeah. still, we see a little bit of, of a pushback, and particularly the China international-based teams are more aware of how relevant is the change in China and they, they have um, sometimes challenges to explain these to their colleagues in other parts of the world. I know you're, you're evangelizing on that and, and dedicating yeah. the majority of your chapter is a, a chapter in your book is definitely good, good evidence of that. I mean, how can people that is trying to, to explain to the company? So how can you explain back to the, yeah. how can you explain back to being the head office? Yeah, no, excellent question, Oscar. The, the aspect of when the employees of a corporate, they've got their offices in, in China doing traditional business, doing their normal business, or they set up a corporate venturing or a technology scouting, one go, going to China. These people get it very quickly. They see it. The challenge is, I think, You've got to get your executives from your head office in London or Germany or New York. You've got to get them to China. They've got to spend a bit of time on the ground because when they see the cities, when they see the electric mopeds, when they see the electric cars, when they see WeChat and mobile payments and QR code payments, it's an eye opener in that for them. And that's the bit that needs to be there. Then, so that's an important step. The next step is for the people who are running the corporate venture units or the innovation units to connect those technologies and those changing business models to how it's going to impact their core business in a number of years' time. So I think that that's an important step that then has to be done. And I've done that with so corporates over the last year. I've run programs in Shanghai, Beijing. We've done it with the corporate venture units. We've done it with the business units in China. And we've done it with some of the executives from outside of China. But it's as much about getting the message from the corporate venture and the people on the ground to be able to get a coherent story to feed it back to the head office. Now, I've had pushback from a number of corporates who said, oh, well, you know, the Chinese aren't coming to Europe. They aren't coming to the US. We're safe here. We're managing our sort of stuff. But my view on that is that corporate has got maybe a half a generation, 10 years before the Chinese companies are going to and the Chinese business models are going to be impacting their sectors in Europe where their big markets and that, that are at the moment. Because as you would know, Chinese startups and Chinese corporates like Alibaba and Tencent, and, you know, that those, they've grown in the Chinese market, which is growing rapidly and it's open to it because the uptake and the, the next generation technologies and that's now available, they're doing it. The Chinese companies are expanding into Asia. And India, for example, is a big battleground between China and Western corporate. And 
the Chinese companies don't need to enter those other areas. But my teenage children are acting like the way the Chinese consumers were run at the moment. I did a video where I described that China's got a billion teenagers at the moment. Now, you know, it hasn't literally got a billion teenagers, but they're all on social media. They're all on WeChat. They're all doing mobile payments. They're doing bike sharing. They're doing delivery services. They're renting clothes. They're all doing this next generation type venture stuff that, that you're great in building within, within your incubator and investing in your fund. And those business models and those technologies are coming outside of China at yeah. scale. Before we talk about the role of Chinese corporates also in the corporate VC space, mm -hmm. not just in China, where they've been extremely active. Yeah. And, uh, and if globally we're talking about 25%, in China it's probably 75% yeah. of, the, of the Series B level type yeah. of, um, of deals. So once, once you start working with, with corporates and start, start to educate them in the, and create this awareness of you need to put China into your equation of your corporate VC, regardless of you having a conducting business directly in China. Yeah. After you, you move to the next step, what do you think is the, is the most relevant challenge once they say, okay, we have to do it, and now we want to do it? What do you think is the, the more relevant challenge in the initial execution of including so, China? Yeah, so the first stop is get, getting awareness. The next step, I think, is investing a fund or partnering with an organization in China. So the, the last time I was in China was in November and I was speaking at a conference for a fund, China Materialia, which is run by Min Zhao, who used to run Unilever Technology Ventures Fund in California, and she's ethnic Chinese back in China. And she's running a fund where there are LPs from uh, limited partner investors from GE, BASF, British American Tobacco, and a, a bunch of others. There's about about six or seven. Very interesting fund because they, they're very specializing in, in new materials. That's which right. Is, um, which is an area where China is extremely active and definitely yep. is, a, is a good example of, of where, I mean, why you need to be present in there. Like, yep. Yeah, I think they, they've also done some investments in some of our companies. So, so I think that's, that's one approach. I think, um, you know, investing in a fund in China, in Israel, or into specialist areas where the corporate hasn't got people, hasn't got necessarily expertise in a new area, then I think that's a good strategy for a corporate. Partnering with incubators such as yourselves or funds such as yourselves, I think that gives insights into what's happening within those sort of spaces. And because I think the most important bits, as we've discussed, is about getting insights, helping Helping these, these startups with, you know, with them, the corporate being the customer, with the corporate being a partner. And it's not necessarily about making an investment. Sometimes the fact of actually making the investment causes more of an issue than it solves. So you know, that's why I explained at the beginning of this podcast about corporate venturing to me as a broad church of different processes. And having a fund and doing direct investments in China is not necessarily the right Thing and that to do you know i work i've, I've had worked closely with intel and intel people and that who are on the ground and that within china for the sorts of technology they're doing and the scale they've got then they can afford to people on the ground but the consumer goods business i was talking about earlier it wouldn't be logical for them to build up the resource and the people to be on the ground and that there but it's important to have the insights and the relationships as i was talking about and help to build that ecosystem globally with china being a key part of it so I just mentioned earlier about how active Chinese corporates and their VC arms are, are mm -hmm. 
in, in mainland China. Can you share some um, learnings uh, about, about what do you see in terms of Chinese corporates being outside of China? Chinese corporates coming out of China and doing investments has been a big trend over the last number of years. The Alibabas, the Tencents, the Baidus and that coming out and investing. But certainly you know, within the data section within my book, I outlined that going back 10 years ago, the majority of the investment with China was going from offshore funds going into China. Then we saw the internal investments happening with, it, with the Chinese and onshore funds. And now we're seeing the funds coming out of China, which has gone, gone massively as well, as the Chinese corporates are seeing that they want to build their ecosystem, they want to get the best talents, they want to get the best technologies, and they want to build those collaborations. And you know, as I was talking about the innovative new value chains, like the Neos, like the Alibabas, they are seeing and they're connecting these technologies and creating the new business models. And corporate venturing is one of the, uh, one of the tools and processes they use. And something that, that is interesting is that these, these investments are throughout China they are not just in the search for technology and um, technology and, and solutions or opportunities that can be brought back to China. There are already existing, existing investments that are, are connected with just interest in the, in the specific local market. That, uh, that's something that's happening a lot in, uh, in Latin America, where Chinese investment is, is growing dramatically, some of it coming from the corporate VCs. And um, we've seen the case of, uh, of Tencent also with acquisitions where they acquire game, game companies and they don't necessarily impact too much the global expansion of the company and, and, but keep supporting the company in their, in their global, global expansion. Yeah, I, I agree. That, that, that change is all happening. And, uh, and, and in some cases, it's leading, to, it's leading to, to acquisitions. But are you seeing from the point of view of, um, of entrepreneurs any attitude or any special concern in terms of, uh, of getting these strategic Chinese investors into, into their companies? Well, I, th I, think there's the, I think those Chinese companies are getting involved in later stage investments rather than the earlier stages that corporates are typically involved in that because of the, the scale and the amounts of monies that are coming in. And I think it's important about to sort of recognizing that getting investment from Tencent then probably bars you from developing your proposition on Alibaba and vice versa. So mm. I think you know, that, that's been sort of recognized within those areas. But I think the, the main point about what's the purpose about why the startup needs the investment and what are the implications of that, uh, I think is, is a broader question than whether it's Chinese money or whether it's SoftBank money or whether it's um, one of the big funds or whether it's an investment from from one one of the from Facebook or um, Google or sort of something like that, I think that those questions, just, you know, those questions just aren't a Chinese question. It's a broader question in terms of valuations and then implications for um, for where that startup is going to be developing and where it exits. I'd like to talk about. I mean, you mentioned earlier that uh, that some of the European executives say that most of the Chinese investment is going to US, so they're not too worried about like they think China will come later. And, uh, and you mentioned that that's maybe something that will happen in one generation. Do you think the trade war is something that will, will accelerate the activity, the trade war between China and the US will accelerate the, the expansion of the interest of, uh, of Chinese companies in Europe? I think the Chinese have, they're developing new, they're 
go into the next generation of technology or the current generation of technologies that's now available and they're developing business, business models in those areas. They're expanding in markets where there's growing populations and growing wealth and therefore they've done China and that first and they're doing other parts of Asia and India and sort of stuff like that. Uh, and markets where, you know, there's people acting like teenagers like the Chinese are acting like teenagers. To be honest, I think, I think this, the trade war issue at the, the, the macro level for traditional businesses is different than the, where these new startups and new technologies and that are going. I think that's a different dynamic. And, you know, I, I, I don't think the startups are necessarily, you would see, and Chinese companies can see they can expand in other places. There's other places apart from the US and Europe. That they can expand and that into, so I'm I'm not over sure whether the whether the trade war is going to have a direct effect on the general trend that, that I think is happening in terms of the technologies and the business models and you know the the rise of these new economies. I I don't think there'll be a blip with the trade war, which might be a number of months or years. But I don't think it's going to change the, where the trajectory of the overall trend is going. Thank you very much, Andrew, for sharing and, uh, with, uh, with our listeners and educating me a bit about, uh, about corporate VC and what's corporate VC. So as well as the like, electric vehicles that I've sort of talked about, I'm particularly interested in uh, payments and QR code um, sort of solutions. There's a venture I'm working with at the moment where we're using... QR code reading and payment sort of areas, which has been massive and that now within China, but it's still got different ways that it could be applied within, um, within, within the West and Europe and the US. And another venture where we're going to be launching at Shanghai, uh, in Shanghai at the fashion, fashion show later in the year. We're, I'm working with a venture which is working with independent designers and really being in the space in the omni-channel so running pop-up shops and running the uh, online store and how that that is area so these are interesting brands western brands that were interesting take to china but also there's a startup we're working with china to bring chinese brands out into pop-up stores and onto our online channels so there's um, there's a few areas there that um, I'd be keen to connect with people. Uh, Andrew, if, if anybody wants to contact you, what's the best way to, to reach out to you? I'll be happy for you to circulate the old-fashioned email or my, uh, my WeChat. Uh, my WeChat uh, handle is agall, so at A-G-A-U-L-E. Agall should be able to find me on, uh, on WeChat or they can contact via you, Oscar, I'm sure, as well, and we'll be connected through WeChat. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Great, great pleasure to have you today. Thank you very much. Really good speaking. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I just want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, China Accelerator. They are an accelerator based in Shanghai, bringing international ideas into China and Chinese ideas international. They're number one in what they do. They're a three-month program, and they help build your idea and make it amazingly successful. You can find out more at www.chinaaccelerator.com. People Squared is the original co-working space in China. It's your home for startups, no matter what you're working on. Small team or large, it has all the resources, the environment, the culture, everything that you need to take your idea and make it successful. Founded by Bob Jung, an entrepreneur himself who really understands what startups need, it's a great place to bring your team and find success. You can find out more 
at people-squared.com. <laughs>